things before we dive in. Uh, sometimes it's just kind of good to be grateful for things. And I was kind of, this morning we're in the, our time of prayer. Uh, just, I'm very grateful this morning that we have all three classes of our kids' ministry going today. I, A, this fact that we have kids to even do that is, I think we should never take that for granted. I'd uh, be very grateful for that and thankful for that. But also just we have leaders uh, we have adults who are willing to invest in our kids, um, and because sometimes we can think about living and loving, li- living and loving like Jesus out in this context in this room, but we have to also remember that our leaders are doing that for our kids too uh, in those classrooms, and they too are learning to live and love like Jesus, and uh, that's just so key uh, for our future, and not just for this little church here, but for the future um, in general, so... Uh, just, yeah, really grateful for that this morning, and uh, I'm not going to plug being a leader for children's ministry. I'm just going to leave it at that, but uh, yeah, just be grateful. Also, to say we're very grateful to have Carolyn back and John Paul. Still standing. So, yeah, so that's good. You're still standing. <laughs> we're all still standing, which is good. Uh, yeah, one more, one more thing, too, before we dive into our scripture this morning. Uh, I just want to introduce an idea to you. I have an idea, and who knows how it, how it will go. We'll find out. But ideas are fun to play with. Uh, as we all know, Scripture is really important for, for us to know how to live and love like Jesus. Uh, and so sometimes we can talk about Scripture. Sometimes we can, we can take for granted uh, just that some of us, we know how to like flip through our Bibles really easily, and we can find things, and uh, but not... We're not all, maybe not everyone knows how to do that. And, and that's okay because you've never been taught. Um, so we kind of want to like, the next, next week, okay, not starting today, next week we're going to like do something a little crazy, a little wild, a little out there. It's, it's pretty, it's, it's hard to even imagine this. But we're going to remove scripture from the screen next week. And we're actually going to have Paul, Paul, Paul's actually going to bring a ton of Bibles for us, and we're going to go old school for a little while, this first season. And what I want us to do, this is an experiment, I want us to actually take the actual physical Bible, I want us to learn together how to actually work through a Bible, and actually how to find scripture in a Bible. There's something, I like to compare it to this, because I know we have, some of us have phones, and phones are great, and those are super easy to do, and that's awesome. Keep using the phone. But think about this. It's like, I, I'm not really good at analogies. My wife is really good at analogies. She's the teacher, so she's really good at this. But I think this is a pretty good analogy. It's like when you're trying to learn how to drive a car. Yeah, you can skip to the automatic, and that's really easy to do, and it's fun. But something, it's about learning how to drive a manual that helps you appreciate the car more. <laughs> it helps you appreciate how a car works and how it functions. Is that a good analogy? Thank you. You're pointing at me, so I don't know if... Oh, okay, yes. All right. Yeah, she's learning how to, yeah, she's learning how to drive... Uh... Miriam's actually learning how to drive a standard right now. So she knows. Uh, so, so the next little while... I'm not saying this is going to be forever, but just for the next little while, we're going to have uh, actual physical Bibles, and we're going to kind of walk through how to just... Uh, really, just some easy ways for us to figure out how to, how to use this thing we call the Bible. Uh, because sometimes when I say, turn to Matthew 2, 4, some of us may not know what that means. Like, well, how do I find that, right? And we can, some of us take that for granted. So we're just going to learn together, again, to live and love like Jesus, just by simply helping one another figure out how to use this thing. Does that make sense? I say this thing. This is more than just a thing, but you know what I mean. Um, so we'll do that next week. But this week, you're in luck. Uh, we have it on screen this week. So you can relax, put it in autopilot, and continue on. Uh, so we're going to do that, and it's going to be great. Today we're talking about Genesis 4. Uh, we're moving along in the story of God. Uh, Josh did a fantastic job last week uh, setting up um, the conflict for us. When you think of a story, there's always got to be a conflict that happens. Uh, there's an introduction, there's a conflict, and then there's a resolution and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so... Josh did a great job setting up the conflict for the story of God. And he kind of alludes to the solution and the, the climax of the story later on with Jesus. Uh, but he did a great job doing that. 
And, and, then, and before that, sorry, Katie talked about creation. Katie talked about how this ability to take something from the invisible and turning it to the visible. We talked about God's creation. Uh, yeah, so the thing about the conflict that Josh talked about last week, if you look at the book of Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament, is sometimes, lots of times in stories, uh, before a story gets better, it gets a whole lot worse. <laughs> before we kind of get to that kind of like moment of triumph, right? Uh, so we're going to be looking at just continuing on uh, this idea that things are going to get a little worse, but we also are going to see kind of this like blips of hope. We're going to see God still at work, even amongst the conflict, even amongst those times where it feels like, how, how is this thing going to resolve? God is still there working, and that's what's really exciting about working through the story of God. Uh, so we're going to open the book of Genesis. So if you have a Bible, and I'll say this next week too, uh, if you have a Bible, bring it next week. Uh, we'll have some level, a handful of Bibles to pass out, but don't, don't assume we'll have enough Bibles for everyone. So if you can kind of pitch in and bring your own Bible, that'd be, that'd be great. Just kind of take it, do one of those, and uh, bring it on in. Um, so Genesis 4 is the very first, first book of the Bible, so this is an easy one. Um, and we're looking at chapter 4. And Genesis is a great, humongous book. It's huge. It's got a lot of kind of, if you ever attended Sunday school, it's got a lot of the classic um, Sunday school stories that you will learn about in there uh, from creation uh, to Abraham to, to Joseph. Um, and it's, it's quite, a, quite a, a rich, rich book. Um, so chapter four, we're dealing with Cain and Abel today. Who here has a sibling? Most of us, yeah. Uh, so siblings are fun, and uh, I have siblings. I have a, a, a brother who's two years younger than me. He lives in, he lives in Italy with his wife, lucky him, and um, I have a younger sister. She's uh, nine years younger than me, named Rebecca. My brother's name is Eric. Uh, Eric and I were pretty tight. We were pretty close in age. We were pretty tight growing up. Uh, had a lot of the same, she had a lot of the same friends. Uh, we also had our moments of conflict as well. One sticks out in particular. Um, probably, uh, probably middle school, early high school. I think I was in high school. He was in middle school. And uh, we had these bikes. We loved riding our bikes. Bikes were fun. And uh, I remember going down the garage one day to get my bike out. I'm going to take my bike out go for a ride. My bike's missing. Where's my bike? And... Uh, it just so happens that my brother at that same moment comes in. He's like, hey, Andrew, I want to show you something. I'm like, okay. So we walk over to my neighbor's house and uh, go through the path that connected our houses through the woods. And uh, there's some uh, patch of uh, trees in behind my neighbor's house. And there's this humongous tree there. It's humongous. Well, like one of those ideal trees that you could climb up as a kid. It was just so good. Um, and I see my, my friend, uh, sorry, my brother's friend, our neighbor, John, and he's standing there with a rope. He's holding a rope like this, like, okay, and I, I start falling a rope up the tree, and this tree is very high, like super high. I'm not good at like judging like how many feet, just know it's very high. I'm falling the rope up, and I see at the top of this tree my bike <laughs> dangling from the rope at the top of this tree. So I'm like, okay, cool. And uh, I'm not sure, they, they said something, but John just kind of looks at me with a smile, and he goes, <laughs> and the tree and the bike just smashes on every branch on the way down. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's, you can laugh. And my, my it's probably a Huffy or something, bike uh, was laying there at the bottom of the tree just totally demolished, like this bent and the spokes and all this stuff. Uh, needless to say, my bike was destroyed, and, and my brother and I, in that moment, had conflict, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, and my brother and my parents also had conflict later on when it came to figuring out how I was, was going to get a new bike. Um, now, this, for me, is not like... Uh, it's not a great example of uh, a dysfunctional family, 
by, by any means. Uh, but I think it's fair to say that lots of us at certain points in our, in our lives um, have thought, wow, my family is really, can be very dysfunctional at, at, at moments. And if, and if your family isn't dysfunctional at moments, at times, you think, well, my spouse's family is quite dysfunctional at moments. So at some level, we experience uh, dysfunctional family things. Uh, Cain and Abel, is, I, I think we should be reassured that even the very first family on earth uh, that God created was also um, very dysfunctional and probably more dysfunctional than your family is. We have this Adam and Eve, uh, they are the ones who um, uh, bring in uh, death and destruction through, you know, through eating the, the fruit. They introduce sin to the world. Uh, and then not only that, but they have, these, they have kids. And they're, they're so unaware what their kids are up to that one of them, I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but one of them actually, one of their sons murders their other son, right? We have this family here who has lots of things going on uh, that uh, in comparison to dropping a bike from a tree is quite substantial. Um, so we should all just, just take a deep breath, just relax, and just, just be happy that we're not part of Adam and, <laughs> Adam and Eve's family. Uh, there's dysfunction was happening at the very beginning of the Old Testament, at the very beginning of Scripture. Uh, so we're going to read Genesis 4, and I'm not going to read the whole thing all at once. We're going to kind of go step by step. There's a lot going on uh, in Genesis 4, and a lot more than I probably, I'll be honest with you, a lot more than um, I probably was anticipating when I assigned myself to, to teach on this. So, um, so Genesis 4. And we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Uh, I think we have, yeah, awesome. So, now Adam had sexual relations with his wife. Uh, sorry, I, I can think it was Bill Clinton when I, when I read that. Um, not have some, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll continue on, yeah. Uh, and she became pregnant. Uh, when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. Now just right there, um, we have something very interesting that we're going to see a lot more in the Old Testament. This idea of um, someone being the, the firstborn and the secondborn. So we're going to see this happening a lot in the Old Testament as we move through the story of God. We're going to see this weird thing that happens with firstborn and secondborn where lots of times the firstborn ends up being the last in line, and the, and the secondborn is actually is propped up as the right, the right brother or the right sibling, um, or it found, finds favor. Yes, all of you who are secondborn can, can shout hooray. Um, but Jacob, Jacob and Esau, right, is, is another example of this. Um, and we can kind of, this is reminiscent a little bit, or first, uh, not reminiscent, sorry, uh, alluding a little bit to uh, Jesus saying, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, this kind of idea, right? Um, we also see here that it's, it's, it's clear that this story is about Cain and not so much about Abel. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. And then it's kind of like, and then later she gave birth to his brother named, and named him Abel. This, this kind of sets us up that this is kind of about Cain. All right? All right, moving on in, chapter, in verse 2. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented sorry, I lost my place, some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry. And he looked dejected. I have days where I look very dejected as well. He looks dejected. Um, there's debate about why God rejected Cain's offering and not Abel's. Some people say it's because Abel brought a lamb. And as we all know, as we, look, as we work through the, the scripture, uh, Jesus himself is referred to the lamb, right? To a lamb. Uh, blood sacrifice is an important part of the Old Testament, an offering. Um, 
So that's one possible reason why. Um, and Cain kind of brought veggies, <laughs> which I think makes a strong argument for, for eating meat. But, um, but, this is, but we also need to look forward a little bit. So in the book of Leviticus, though, we see offerings that are both meat and uh, fruit and, or, or harvested things, things that come from, from growing things. And so um, that may not be the reason why. We can't just say it was because of it was a, it was a lamb uh, versus uh, a harvest because God still accepts both of these offerings later on. Um, so what, what is it then? What is it that, that God finds acceptable about, about Abel's and not Cain's? Um, sometimes it's really helpful as we try to understand Scripture is to look at other Scriptures in the Bible that help explain this. So we're just going to go to Hebrews, which is in the New, Des- New Testament. Uh, we're going to look at Hebrews uh, 11.4. And it says this. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So there's more going on here than just what the actual offering is. It's an attitude in which Cain has versus what Abel has, okay? Um, something for us to keep in mind. Cain is kind of, he just kind of, gives some of his harvest over to God, where Abel has faith that God is who he says he is and that he is the creator of the universe and that he is worthy of his best. And so by faith, Abel brings uh, his best, his firstborn uh, lamb to God as an offering. Where Cain, not so much. It kind of sounds like he just puts... uh, doesn't give his whole self into that one. Um, so this is an attitude issue. An attitude issue. Okay, moving on. Verse 6. Back to Genesis. Verse 6 says, okay, so God, now God's speaking. So speaking to Cain. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. So, we'll stop right there for a second. God doesn't say to Cain, and this, and this is really key for us as we move forward. God doesn't say to Cain, I love you any less. Okay? God isn't saying, I find you less worthy in the sense of, of being a human being, of being his creation, being made in the image of God. He's, just, he's saying to Cain, the offering you gave me was not acceptable. Okay? You need to keep this in mind. The offering is not acceptable. It doesn't mean he loves Cain any less. Everyone, everyone with me on this? Okay. And he doesn't even, keep in mind, he doesn't even punish Cain, Really? He doesn't say, because you gave me a less offering, here's a punishment. He just says, I don't accept this offering. Because then what happens next? It, it's, the story picks up with Cain getting angry next, not God giving some sort of massive amount of punishment to Cain. It's Cain is next in this, in this narrative. And it's Cain's anger that begins to lead down a road that we all know where it kind of begins, where we know where it ends up. Okay? He doesn't, he just doesn't, um, sorry, yeah, so he, so he doesn't even, he rejects, he says this offering is not suitable, but even after this happens, we also have to see that God pursues Cain. God doesn't say, okay, your, your offering is garbage and unacceptable and walks away from Cain. God just says, this is unacceptable. And then it's God who pursues Cain and says, whoa, whoa, why are you so angry, buddy? Like, like, like a father does to his son, like when my kids get upset, the first thing I'm like, hey, Tyson, what, what, what's going on, man? Like, why are you so upset? What, why are you so angry? 
this is important for us to understand because this shows us the, the posture and the heart of God as a father. He doesn't just send Cain away and say, figure it out. God approaches, the creator of the universe approaches Cain and says, why are you so angry? Because God cares for Cain as well. When, when God says something is unacceptable or sets a standard, we can pull, for, pull from this that, that does not necessarily equate to him not loving us. Okay? Just because God sets a standard or asks something for, from us, and if we can't, oh, if we can't always get there, right, sometimes, or we can't live up to that, that doesn't mean he loves us any less. We'd all say a good, that a good parent sets boundaries for their children. Is that fair to say? Yeah? Okay, thank you. God, I mean, that's, that's, that's science. <laughs> that's, I mean, anyone would say boundaries for children is important. God is setting boundaries here for Cain and for Abel. Um, but sometimes <laughs> we, um, as children of God, or even our own children, we like to test the boundaries, don't we? That's, that's also part of this human nature. We test the boundaries. But luckily, God still extends his grace to us in those moments. And it's God, again, who comes to Cain first and says, what's going on? What's happening here? Let, let, let's talk this out. Let's figure this out because I don't want you to go down a certain road. Lots of times we, we picture the Old, the Old Testament uh, very differently than, than the New Testament because we see in the New Testament Jesus living out this, this again, this life of grace and love and, and peace. And it's, it's, it's just a bit more clear for us. But already, I would say even before this actually, but already we're, we're four chapters in and God is already showing his grace in the Old Testament. Okay? And we think about Adam and Eve, uh, like where are they in this story? <laughs> We're going to see God is the better parent here. All right, moving on. We're going to come back to this. Verse 8 says... One day Cain suggests to his brother, <laughs> where's, where's your bike? I, I, I can be like, pictures now. Um, let's, come to my friend's house. Uh, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the fields, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and he killed him. He killed him. Cain's anger got the better of him, even after God was kind of helping him try to work that out, he ignores God and, and lets his anger get the better of him, and he murders his own brother. Um, again, I just want to point out, uh, God isn't even angry at Cain or punishing Cain for feeling anger in that moment. He's just saying, watch out. Sin is, is at your door. Sin is like a predator. The Hebrew word here is like, it's like a predator ready to pounce. So God is even saying that, that, you are, that you are feeling wronged, like you should feel wrong about feeling angry. Who here feels angry sometimes? Yeah, I think we all feel angry. And, but it's the emotion itself is, is not the sin, if that makes any sense. It's what we do with that, how we carry that out in our actions that we begin to start seeing some, <laughs> the fruit of our, what's going on in our hearts, right? So God is even angry, really upset at, at, at uh, Cain for, for feeling angry. Um, and feeling something doesn't make you a bad person. Uh, for those of you who, who, uh, who do the Enneagram stuff, 
Uh, I'm in like the, it's a personality test, but it's kind of. Uh, and I'm in the group that they basically say that you're motivated by anger. <laughs> Uh, so I know, I, know, I know what this feels like. I mean, I'm, I'm motivated by anger in the sense of uh, when I see an injustice, I get really angry about it. If I see something wrong in the world, I get very angry about it. And so feeling angry isn't necessarily always a bad thing. It's what we do with it, how we harness that, what we do with that, giving it over to God. That's what matters, okay? Feeling sad about something doesn't make you a bad person. So, again, Cain is feeling upset, and he murders his brother. He's unable to get his emotions under control. He falls through on the emotions. He doesn't necessarily hoist up uh, his brother's bike and drop it, but he straight up murders his brother. Then, moving on, verse 9 says, Afterwards, the Lord asked Cain, Where is your brother where is Abel? We all know God knows what's going on here. I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? Or in the message it says, am I my brother's babysitter? Here we have something going on. In the garden, Adam and Eve, they sin, right? We talked about last week. When God confronts them about it, they're pretty like, they, they, they do hide. But when God confronts them about it, they're pretty open. They're, yeah, like we messed up. They're, they're, kind of, they're honest about it with God eventually. Here we have Cain, who has also sinned, like his mother and father. This is the first time we're, we're, we're now seeing someone who's being dishonest about it, who's not claiming it. We're seeing Cain starting to not just sin, but he's also now trying to cover it up even further, even more so than uh, his parents. We're seeing, again, we're going to see more and more in the Old Testament, this uh, downward spiral of, of uh, the, the effects of sin in our lives and in society. So Cain basically lies to God. It's a progression of sin that we're going to see more so as we go through the Old Testament. Verse 13 says this, Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment Oh, sorry, let's back up. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's, verse 10, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which, was swallowed, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you. No matter how hard you work, from now on you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replies to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So again, we see a, a second time this act of grace. I think sometimes we can kind of get fixated on the part like God does punish Cain, okay? God has a standard there that he's asking Cain to uphold and to live by. But even when Cain kills his own brother, God says to Cain, and Cain's like, oh, this is too much for me to bear to be away from you. God, again, in an act of grace, does this whole mark of Cain, which we don't know what that is or what that looks like. Um, it's... Use your own imagination what that could be, but uh, I was trying to think of a funny joke, but I couldn't do one quick enough. Uh, but we don't know what that is. Uh, but God still, again, shows grace by giving him the mark of Cain so no one will kill him. That, that, that is grace being played out. So over and over again, we see God setting a standard and a, a level of truth, but he's also showing us grace. He's showing Cain grace. So again, we go back to this idea of truth and grace, which we see played out in Jesus later on. So, why does this matter for me today, Andrew? Let me think about it. Oh, I got something. Here we go. I thought of it. Um, 
Don't murder people. Uh, no. Uh, don't drop bikes from trees. Let's go back to the beginning. We were talking about this already, but go back to the beginning. Why was Cain angry? I'm just going to break it down a little bit further. Like we all do, <laughs> when something doesn't go our way, we like to write stories in our head. Ever never do that? When something doesn't go our way or someone says something to us that we don't like or, or we perceive something to happen, we begin to write stories in our head of why someone did something. And I don't know about you, but when I begin to do that, I go down some pretty crazy roads. And when I find out the truth of why someone did something, I'm like, I feel like an idiot. Because I've, I've written these stories in my mind that have nothing to do with what actually happened. And like, oh, maybe, and, and I start, and I almost like start interjecting like uh, exaggerations in the story. I, I kind of, re I remember the story very differently, right? I think Cain, this is, what, what everyone is saying is, is true. I think Cain is also doing the same. He's, he's writing a story in his mind. God accepts, accepted Abel's offering, so therefore he must love Abel more than me. God must be on Abel's side, and so God must be against me. I'm... It's, sometimes it's hard in Scripture because we don't actually know sometimes what's going on in someone's mind. We're trying to do our best to figure out what's happening here. But I don't think that's a stretch to say that. God is accepting Abel's offering, so therefore he must love Abel more than me, which then begins to spur on this anger for Cain. He's jealous of his brother, but he's also like, oh, God must love him more. He's he finds favor with Abel, and so therefore he must be against me. But we also know, as we talked about, what does God do right after he says, your offering is unacceptable? He comes to Cain. So is he really against Cain? I don't think so. Otherwise, why would he come to Cain afterwards? Why would he walk with Cain and be like, watch your anger, buddy? Like Cain, we live in a world that is obsessed, obsessed, like to the point where I want to get rid of my social media altogether, with creating sides and figuring out who is on what side. And then further, we're obsessed with trying to figure out where, what side is God on. We're obsessed with, you, you go on the news, you go on your, like this week, especially, I th this is more honesty for all of you, like it really was, and maybe this is where my, my anger, like going back to my Enneagram 8, I'm being fueled by my anger, maybe this is where the sermon's coming from, I don't know. But like, I'm just like, ah, between all the, the politics, uh, the halftime show stuff going on, everyone's just like, like, do you guys get tired of this, or is this me? Everyone's just like putting their opinions on Facebook and creating sides for all of us. Get on my side. And here's how the story goes. Get on my side, and if you're not on my side, I'm going to try to convince you to be on my side. And if you do not want to be on my side, you must hate me. And whoever's on my side is not going to throw stones, or I don't know what else people throw it these days, but uh, at the other side. And that's what we're going to call life now, is just trying to get everyone on our side. And then we as Christians have this extra layer of where's God in all this? What side is God on? Like Cain's asking, well, we're saying God's clearly on Abel's side. He's not on my side. And he lets his anger fuel his next actions. It's very tiring. It's very tiring. And I, yeah, yeah. I, I see enough of the, like, that kind of like side making with my own kids that it gets very tiring to see adults do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
Uh, we're obsessed with it. We're obsessed with creating sides. We're trying to convince others to come to our side. And we have convinced ourselves that there's no room in our side making for truth and grace. We've convinced ourselves of that. It's either one or the other. Either on my side or not. Forget the conversation. Forget about it. Either you're with me or you're against me. I don't have time to talk about it. Instead, what I'm going to do instead, I'm going to go online and I'm going to write a blog about it. And then I'm going to let people, I know, and then I'm going to let people just make all kinds of crazy comments underneath it. Because that's going to help, I think. It's helped so far, hasn't it? And there's no room for dialogue anymore. For a world that is so anti, uh, anti-binary on things, it's amazing. This is, but this is how we talk, though. It's, it's binary. It's either you're with me or you're against me. There's no room for in-between. Cain, in his narrow storytelling, wrote a story that involved only two sides, Abel's side and Cain's side, or in other words, polarization. (laughs) There's either the Republican side, I'm American, just remember, so I'm I'm going with this first, but I think it's all fair to say we're all aware of the political mishaps or fun times right now uh, down south, Um, so I don't think I'm out of context here. There's either the Republican side or the Democrat side. There, now, luckily in Canada, there is, there's either the conservative or the liberal. There's also the NDP or the Green and other parties as well, too. But um, you're either a Habs fan or a Leafs fan. Is that, that's a thing, right? I don't watch hockey, but that's a, that's a thing. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> you're either, okay, so don't hear what I'm not saying here. I'm just saying this is what we're, we're hearing nowadays. You're either a Christian who loves the LGBTQ community who affirms gay marriage, or, or you have to be a Christian who hates the LGBTQ community. It's either one or the other. There's no room for dialogue. There's no in-between dialogue there. It's either one or the other, the way we present it. You have to either disapprove the halftime show and be labeled an anti-women's uh, rights individual, or you have to be pro-women rights and allow your children to watch public crotch thrusting. Everyone hold your horses. Yes, I, just, I actually just did say crotch thrusting in public. But these are the narratives that we write. It's either you have to be one or the other. I'm not saying I'm advocating for either, either, either of these sides. I'm just saying these are the, we put ourselves in these traps, in these positions, and we're asking everyone to either pick one or the other. Is it possible that there's truth in, in possibly both positions? Is, there, is it possible that we can show grace to one another long enough to see the truth in both positions. And could there possibly be a third way to think about these things? Jesus seems to think so. Don't get me wrong, I have my own opinions (laughs) on these subjects. And I'm not advocating for any side here. But I just want us to see, do you see the sides we create and how limited they are? There never seems to be a third way that promotes both truth and grace. And then, again, we have this, as Christians, we love to speculate what side God is on. Here's the one thing I want us to get this morning, if you get anything else. God is not on anyone's side but his own. God is not on anyone's side but his own. But Andrew, whoa, 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 like, but God's for us, and we sing songs about that. I know. 
It sounds selfish when you say it like that. But when you're the creator of the universe, the holy of holies, the king of kings, there is no one like God, and there never will be. God is the alpha and the omega. God creates life, and, he's, and he can conquer death itself. He's the author of all things. I think it's fair to say when you are these things, when you know God is this, I think it's fair to say that God can have his own side. But here's the cool part. Here's the cool part. But in his graciousness and his love for us, just like he did with Cain, he invites us to join him in the story that he's unfolding. He's inviting us into his side. And the awesome thing, awesome thing about God's side is that it's the only side that can perfectly balance both truth and grace. We cannot do that as humans. It's the only side where everyone is invited to join in with all of their ideas, their good ideas, their bad ideas, their insane ideas. And God still has the time and patience and I'd say the wisdom to deal with it all. It's the only side that actually has your best interest at heart. And it's the only side that actually takes our shortcomings and the things that we kind of fail short on at times, and he's able to turn them into growing opportunities and not fighting opportunities. Like Cain, I'm sure lots of you can resonate with this. I can go through a whole day. I can look at the news. I can meet people who are different than me. I can look at all the bazillion articles people are posting stating why I should join their side. And amongst all the noise, I can try, I'm trying to figure out, God, where are you in all this? Or uh, whose side are you on, God? We can miss this just like Cain missed this, we can miss this one question that I think God is whispering to us every single day. Are you on my side? It's not, it's not whose side, like, don't worry about what side I'm on, but Andrew, are you on my side? Don't worry about your brothers. Don't worry about that certain political party that you can't stand. Don't worry about that pastor or this community leader about what he says. <laughs> Are you on my side? Because that's the only side that matters. Am I on God's side? Well, what does that look like? Well, I believe first it means that we model what he does with Cain. It's balancing truth and grace with our brothers and sisters. When you fast forward to John, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We're called to love one another. But Andrew, and this is where it gets tricky, but Andrew, what, what if someone's interpreting, interpretation of truth is different than mine? We talk about truth and grace. My idea of truth could be very different than that person's idea of truth. And I'll tell you what, that's a whole other sermon for another time. But I can say this. Here's the first thing I want to do. I do this with my kids all the time. I'm going to pull something out here. This is called a chill pill. Take a chill pill, everyone. Everyone just chill out. Yeah, take it. Take a chill pill and calm down, okay? Yeah, I got, yeah. I'll have to reorder some men. You aren't called to be the moral police of the world. You are not called to be the moral police of the world. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts. You're called to point people to Jesus. You aren't called to go on Facebook and make crazy comments on every article you see that you believe will offend God. He's a big boy. He can handle it. 
Here's, here's my second piece of advice. Take some more chill pills, okay? Because for some of us, that's still not enough. Because here's another reality. <clears throat> I don't know everything. I like to think John Paul knows everything, but even he doesn't know everything. And Carolyn can tell you he doesn't know everything. <laughs> here's, here's, here's more chill pills. <laughs> Okay, so you don't know everything, I don't know everything. The person you're disagreeing with doesn't know everything. Clearly, because why you're arguing with, arguing with them in the first place. And sometimes, I would say the majority of the time, but we're going to get to, to the caveat here in a second. But sometimes, being community with someone is more important than being correct. Sometimes being in community is more important than being correct. After we're all filled up with chill pills, and we're all just relaxed and chill, <laughs> here's the last thing. I'll, I wanna, we can end with this now. I want us to chill out first. <laughs> and then we can end with this. We have to keep in tension, though, that we do know some things. Okay? And we find them in Scripture. So we do know some things. That's why we, that's why we follow this, because we believe there's truth in this. And the whole, I'm living out my own truth, as we know, can only go so far. It's a very popular, for you who are not hip and up with things, it's a very popular thing to say nowadays. I'm living out my truth. But at some point, though, your truth if someone's truth is to say, I want to kill somebody, we would say, that can't be a truth. But what's more important, though, as we figure out what truth is through the lens of Scripture as our compass, we need to exhibit grace for one another when we don't see eye to eye on things. God doesn't accept Cain's offering because there is a standard and there's a truth that God sets. But he wasn't insulted by it and he chooses to press into Cain's story further to help him live and love like Jesus. Even when Cain murders his brother, God does it again by upholding a standard of truth but also shows him grace with the mark. Is it possible for us today in 2020 to still hold Scripture as our compass to live in love like Jesus, but instead of throwing stones and getting angry, we see it as an opportunity to humbly enter into each other's stories and together help one another live in love like Jesus. We like to end each week with an I will statement. So here's some, some, some ideas for you to do maybe for some homework this week. I will resist fighting someone and just simply listen to their story instead. So for some of us, that's a challenge. We always, we always want to give our one piece of advice, or we always want to give them our point of view on something. It may be a good practice for some of us today, just to, just don't do that. Just let them talk. So another thing you can do is take time to write out things you have in common with someone that is different than you, or a list of things that, that make you grateful for them. Thirdly, Reflect on this question. Am I so concerned with everyone else's sides? Have I taken the time to, to really reflect on, am I, am I on God's side? Uh, I, I truly believe at St. John Vineyard we, we can do this. And I think we're called to do this, to be a community that expresses both truth and grace. To be a community that can have conversations, not out of anger, but out of love for one another. Because the rest of the world isn't doing that. The rest of the world just wants to make sides and fight. We as a church have to be able to model that. We have to be able to model a third way when it comes to these things. This is what God calls us to. So, uh, we're going to pray. And if you have any questions about this or want to chat about this, I'll be uh, over here.
prayer for sure. But if you just want to like debrief though, maybe something you heard, we can do that too. Or, or think about how can I apply this to my life? I'd love to talk to you about that as well too. Because I think that's equally as, as, as probably the most important thing. How can I actually live this out? Let's pray. God, thanks for this time. God, thank you for... Whew, thanks for just... In our brokenness, God, that you love us and God, that you show us both truth and you show us grace. God, it was Abel's blood <laughs> that, that reveals Cain's wickedness. But God, we're so thankful that it was your son Jesus' blood that covers ours. God, help us to have a spirit of grace as we dialogue with people, as we get on our phones and dialogue with people. God, help us to be a, a people that can actually show what it means to live out a third way, to live in truth and grace, to, to carry that tension, to carry that balance. God, in our world today, we need that more than ever. We need your power. We need your help to do this. God, help us to care for our brothers and our sisters. Even when we disagree about something, God, help us to, at the, at the end of the day, be able to walk away and still say we love one another. Jesus says that the world will know who I am by the way you love one another. That's how they will know who I am. Help us do that. And God, I'll, I'll be the first to say, I don't know always how to do that. <laughs> So God, God, lead us through your Holy Spirit. Show us through your Holy Spirit how to do that. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you. Wherever he may send you, may he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. We love you, God. Praise in your name. Amen.